Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is awesome to see you guys. Thank you for being here. And welcome, Pine Cove. It's great to have you guys with us this morning. So excited about the week ahead. We are kicking off a brand new series in, in, this morning entitled Demystify, and we're talking about the kingdom. Demystify, as many of you know, is just to try to help make something more understandable. It's easier to, to understand or conceive of this concept. And it is a confusing concept. The idea of the kingdom of God is something that Jesus talked about frequently. It was 85 sometimes in the Gospels alone that Jesus mentioned the kingdom of heaven slash kingdom of God. He uses them interchangeably. But yet there's a lot of confusion in our day, even among Christians, about what exactly did he mean by that and how do we participate in that? Is that for us today? When is it? Where is it? How is it? And so I want us to talk about this a little bit because it's such an important concept for us to grasp. It was very important to Jesus that we would grasp it. So let's start with this question. What did Jesus mean by the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? So I want to start by answering this question by starting with what it is not, okay? What the kingdom of heaven is not. The kingdom of God is not, first of all, the kingdom of heaven is not the church. Some people think, well, the local congregations are called the church, and then collectively all across the world, all the churches come together and form the kingdom of God. And that seems like a great idea, but that's not what Jesus taught. And we're going to talk about why in a little bit, kind of unpack that. So first of all, it's not the church. Number two, the kingdom of heaven is not where the people of God go after death, okay? And part of the confusion around this is that the first time that Jesus preaches, or the first record that we have in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 we have that when he, from the time he began to preach, we're told in verse 17, that he preached this, repent for the kingdom of, let's say the highlighted word together, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, this word heaven is actually in its Greek origin a plural word, heavens. And he's using it like we would say the skies or the atmosphere or the air that you and I are breathing. Now, the atmosphere in the air is not some distant realm. It is something that is very present. It's right here. It is all around us. And this is what Jesus was teaching about the kingdom, as he wanted us to see that it is invisible. It is non-tangible, non-physical, but it is ever-present around us, this realm in which God dwells, that he is there. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more. Now, let's talk about what it is. What is the kingdom of God? I, I love the definition that uh, theologian scholar Dallas Willard gives when he talks about this idea of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. He says it's the place where what God wants done is done. It is the place where what God wants done is done. In other words, it is the range of his effective will. 
It's part of the reason why over in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, when Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, he says, I want you to pray this. That God, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was like, this is a priority for me and it should be for you if you're my follower that you are a part of bringing, at least in some part, the kingdom of heaven to earth. That it is when we choose to say, God, I want to do your will. Wherever God's will is being done, his kingdom is present there. And this is how the kingdom of heaven is expanded. It is when more people are saying, you know what? God's way works better. I'm going to do his thing. <laughs> I'm going to do what he says. And that's how the kingdom of God is expanded. I grew up in a, a church or kind of a, um, a denomination where I really kind of thought that it was only when evangelism happened. It was only when people got saved that the kingdom of heaven expanded. But that is not exactly what Jesus taught. His teaching was when the will of God is being done, and so when we pray that, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it ought to start with me. So my prayer is, God, may your will be done and your kingdom come through will today, that that would happen today starting with me. <clears throat> and, and may you expand it through my choices and the way I interact and show love and kindness to other people forgiveness that's not forgive, just not deserved, just like I have received forgiveness that's not deserved. So this is how we begin in terms of our understanding. But the big question I want us to guide us the rest of this message and all the messages in the series is this, what benefit is the kingdom today? Like what, what relevance is the kingdom of God to your life right now, right here in 2022? Like, what difference does it make? This is a really important question we need to be asking, I feel like, in every sermon that you hear anywhere, is what difference does this make? Because they all make a difference, but this is really important. Now, I want to answer that by sharing with you a story I read recently. It was actually about a jet fighter pilot, which is kind of appropriate in the, uh, the day of Top Gun Maverick, all right? But um, so there was this jet fighter pilot that was practicing these high-speed maneuvers, and she took the controls and turned what she thought was a steep ascent, but she, and unbeknownst to her, did not realize what was happening, actually flew her plane straight into the ground and had a tragic accident. Now, she had been flying upside down and did not realize it when she turned the controls. Now, pilots actually have a name for this condition. It's called spatial disorientation. And it's actually way more common than you might think. It's happened to many pilots, especially when visibility is limited and it's cloudy, foggy, etc. It's very easy to do the way the G-forces work. You can't really tell where the gravity is coming from, where the ground is. But I tell you this story, this tragic story, to be a parable for us, you and I, the human condition in the world in which we live today. It is a great description of how we live because most of us, if we're really honest, we live at a pretty fast clip. We are moving at high speeds. We make decisions at high speeds for ourselves, for our kids, for our finances, for our future. And there are times, if we could be just really honest, we don't know if we're flying right side up or upside down. It is hard to know, was that a good decision? Was it a bad decision? Was that wise or unwise? It's hard to know. 
And what's interesting is in addition to that, we have a society that is constantly bombarding us with messages because we have a society that is increasingly more convinced that it doesn't really matter if you're right side up or you're upside down. We're getting messages like no one could really even know the difference between those two things. And even if we could know, it's kind of irrelevant. Who cares? It doesn't really matter. But the problem is, all the while these messages are coming to us, we're seeing people crashing all around us. I see it as a pastor all the time. People whose lives are being destroyed as they're trying to hold on to and to, 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 to keep their life intact, to keep their marriages intact, their, their children, their identity, their, their sexual identity in a time where, let's be honest, you see it and I see it, depression is on the rise, anxiety, suicide is on the rise. It's hard to admit, but as a society, we are flying upside down and don't even know it. Jesus came to earth to say, I've come to speak to this human condition that didn't start in the 21st century. This has been with us as long as there's been people that we adopt worldviews and ideologies about the world and how the universe works that don't work. And we don't find out until it's too late. And the ground is coming and it's tragic and it is heartbreaking. And all, you're left to pick up the pieces or it, there's no pieces left to pick up. It's over. And Jesus sees us. He sees you. He sees I, all of us standing just like you would for any loving friend that you love, you care about, standing on the railroad tracks and here comes the train. It's, it, it's not enough to just say, hey, when you get around to it, you might want to think about moving off the train tracks. Like, yeah, they, you might want to consider, reconsider your whole approach to life. No, Jesus oftentimes will say, repent. Like, there's urgency in this. You need to rethink what you're doing. It's so important that you rethink this because Jesus came to say, I want to help you as human beings to know how to live together with God in this universe as citizens of my kingdom. Because this is the thing for which you were created to do. You work best, you are in most harmony when you live in sync with my kingdom. So here's the next question I want us to ask. So, how do we find this kingdom? Where is the kingdom? The question even more specifically that the Pharisees ask is when is the kingdom? Like when? So Jesus in, ask, in answering the question when, he actually tells them where also in Luke chapter 17. Let's take a look to, at that together. <clears throat> Once on being asked by the Pharisees, here they are, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. I mean, they are the power brokers, most powerful of all of Judaism. They are the ones that ultimately, many of you know this from the Gospels, that orchestrate the crucifixion of Jesus later in his life. This is way prior to that, but where Jesus is being asked by them, they're really curious, like, do you know when the kingdom's going to get here? Like, when is God going to reveal his kingdom? So the Pharisees, um, here's what they're asking, when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus replied, the kingdom of, God, uh, um, kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. It's not physical, it's not observable. 
Nor will people say, here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God, and let's say these highlighted words together, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In your midst. This little phrase can also be translated, it is within you or it is within your grasp. It is close at hand. It is something that God, this is Jesus showing us that this kingdom is not something that was intended to, to grow in terms of institutions of men and women, you know, humankind, or systems, or programs of people, but it was a kingdom that is to grow within the human heart, within us, within people, men and women, boys and girls. This is how it is to work. And this is what he intended. So the the next thing that Jesus turns and begins to explain is that if you're really serious about the kingdom, the first thing that you really have to consider is a reorientation of your heart, a reorientation of your life. It begins with this kind of a life-wide, lifestyle-wide reorientation. And we're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14 where Mark is recording here again, Jesus right at the beginning of his preaching ministry, the first thing that he starts to preach, and here's what he says. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And what was the good news? The time has come. The time is now. What I'm about to tell you is happening in your hearing. It is happening at this very moment. He said, the kingdom of God has, let's say it together, has come near. Some translations will say, is at hand. It is right now. And now let's say the the first word together. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. Again, Jesus is urgency. He's like, not whenever you get around to it. This is something I want you to consider right now. You need to take this extremely seriously. Because some of you are flying upside down and about to crash. It's going to be so devastating, so heartbreaking. And over in Matthew chapter 7, where he talks about the the wise people who build their house upon the rock as opposed to the sand, because what happens for those who build their house on the rock is those who hear these words of mine and they put them into practice. They actually do what I'm teaching. The others hear these words of mine and they don't put them into practice. And what happens to the house? It falls with a great crash. There's a crash coming. Jesus is saying, you don't have to be in the crash. Life's hard enough as it is. You don't have to live with the devastation and having to pick up the shattered pieces of your life. I can help you to avoid that. I can help you to walk with me in the kingdom, and it makes all the difference. To put this last line another way, you could think about it like this. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. Go review all of your life, your whole worldview, all of your life, you know, core values. Go back and look at everything that you believe about relationships and money and what makes you actually happy and what is the purpose of your soul on this planet. All the most foundational, important issues that you could possibly make a life decision about. And I want you to go back and reevaluate them and arrange them according to what I'm going to tell you, right? So this word repent is so powerful. Repent is turn away from self-centered living. Turn away from self-in-control living. 
I want you to begin to live with not you in control, not centered on you, but centered on Jesus. I want you to begin to live with not you in control or you at the center. I want you to put Jesus at the center. And this is so like fundamentally challenging in terms of a walk with Jesus Christ. This is so incredibly foundational to what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ is that you go back and you systematically say, oh, this part of my life is not in line with Jesus and what he said, I'm gonna bring it in line. And every time we do that, we release the ability for the Holy Spirit to work in and through us and it allows the kingdom of heaven to come a little bit more in our life and in the lives of those around us because we are opening ourselves up for God's kingdom to come through us as we make those decisions and we put him in control. And as we begin to do that, it is crazy how we will begin to see, see the difference between, oh my goodness, I'm starting to fly right side up. This feels totally different. I, I, I now know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now I know there's purpose and there's meaning and there's like divine intervention going on in my life. And when I'm asking for help, I see God beginning to intervene into my life and it's so powerful and I'm so thankful for this, but it happens from a reorientation of the heart and the life in beginning to say, I am yours, Lord Jesus. And this not only was what Jesus meant by being a follower, a disciple, but this is what it, he meant by being a citizen of heaven. And guess what? He still means it. This is still what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and a citizen of heaven. It's taking each piece of our life Slowly, this is why we call it a walk with Jesus and we need to carve out time to do this daily. There needs to be time to get before God and to purge our heart and say, God, I'm still struggling with this and I need your wisdom on this. And you, we seek him, we seek his word and it becomes so powerful as things begin to get right-sided, powerful. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? How do we begin this relationship? How do we get started? <clears throat> That's a great question, especially if you're not sure if you're a, a kingdom citizen or not, if you're not sure if you're a child of God, a follower of Jesus or, or not, or even if you are, this is a really powerful story I want to share with you about one of the most unlikely people and how Jesus chose them to be a part of the, his kingdom. It's over in Luke chapter 7, and um, this is an incredible story where this guy named Simon, again, he was a Pharisee. He was a really nice guy. He was really admired and looked up to in his community, also probably a little judgmental. He was also uh, probably a little legalistic about how he kept rules um, and, and felt like checking the boxes and keeping the rules kept him in right standing with God. But he invites Jesus over for dinner one night. Now, dinner parties back then in the first century were a little different than the way we have them today. First of all, the tables were much lower. They were about this high. There were no chairs around the tables. They were these cushions or what they would call like kind of a sofa or a, a chair, but it's really just a big cushion that they would lie on. So you would lie on it kind of leaning on your, your elbow here and your feet would be out like this. So your head's by the table and your feet are out away from the table, which made a lot of sense back then. Plus you've been walking around in 100 degree Palestinian heat with sandals on and sweaty, nasty feet. You don't want those right next to the table. I'm just telling you, there's practical reason for this. 
They got the, t- the feet away from the table. So Jesus comes in and ha- starts this dinner with Simon. And all of a sudden, here's this woman, unannounced, uninvited. She comes into the house. And she's not just any woman. She has like the worst reputation in this city. She's a prostitute. And, and everybody's starting to whisper and murmur, what is she doing here? What is happening? And she comes right over to Jesus' feet. And she is weeping, y'all. She's crying, crying, crying. And she, her tears are literally soaking his feet. And we're told that she takes her hair and she starts to dry his feet with her hair. She's brought with her this jar, this alabaster jar of expensive perfume, and she starts to anoint Jesus' feet with this oil. And it's filling the room. The smell of it is just the, the aroma. Like, this is such a spectacle, ladies and gentlemen. Like, nobody could do anything else but just watch her. Like, what is she going to do next? Oh, my gosh. So nobody's probably talking. They're all watching this woman and seeing what is about to happen next. And she's crying. She's kissing his feet. And Simon is sitting over here. He's thinking to himself. He's saying, if Jesus was a real prophet, he would know the kind of woman that is touching him right now. She's filthy. How could he, how could he, in in, in the wildest, my my wildest imagination, how could he allow that? How could he let her touch him? Because she is making him unclean according to our rules, our laws. Jesus knew what he was thinking. The benefit of Jesus knowing our thoughts, it's, it's in the gospel now. And Jesus knew what he was thinking, and he turns to Simon. He says, Simon, I want to tell you a story about two guys. They both owed this money lender money. One of them owed about $50. The other owed about $50,000. The money lender came to these guys one day and just said, look, I know that neither one of you can, can pay me back, but both of your debts are forgiven completely and utterly paid in full, done. You don't have to worry about them anymore. Now, back in that day, to owe money like that that you could not pay back was an instant jail sentence. It doesn't matter if it was $50 or $50,000. The sentence is the same. You're in jail until you can pay it back or somebody on your behalf will pay it back. And this was radical, what he just described. And then Jesus turns to Simon and he asks him this powerful question. Verse 42 of Luke chapter 7 Now, which of them, of the two men that owed money, right, which of them will love him, him being the money uh, lender, love him more? Which one? Think about it carefully, Simon. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Which is kind of a funny question because I think everybody had seen the woman, right? That's all they can look at. That's all they're seeing, right? I came into your house. And now Jesus is going to list three common courtesies of the day that this guy did not do for him. Now, whether he thought he was too good for Jesus or he was trying to subtly snub him socially, we don't know for sure. But all we know is these are things that were supposed to be done in this culture for a guest in your home, and Simon did not do them for Jesus. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her, let's say this together, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Like he's the moneylender, right? Then the other guests began to say among themselves, like, who is this that even forgives sins? Because to them as Pharisees, only God forgives sins. To which Jesus would say, bingo, now you're getting a little clue as to who I am. I am God in the flesh. Only God, you know, like, who's this that's forgetting sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go with peace in your heart. Now, just to be clear, we are saved. We are made citizens of heaven by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 is very clear about that. That's how we get saved. We don't get saved just from big, lavish acts of love. But what Jesus did is he helped us to interpret this act of love. That this act of love was actually an act of faith. That her faith is what saved her, but it was because of her big, great love, as it says. In other words, this wasn't just any act of love. This was audacious. This was like embarrassing for most people. It was probably embarrassing for everybody in the room. But here's the thing, she cared more about Jesus' opinion of her than everybody else's. She was more concerned about coming to worship him. She put him first. She, like in today's terms, we would say, that girl is nuts about Jesus. Like she is crazy for Jesus. Like, it's like a little bit like, okay, you know, like calm down a little bit. You're like, you know, this is a little radical. You need to just settle down just a little bit here. Jesus is like, I love this. I love this. She's crazy. She's nuts for me. Like, she's not going to let anything get in the way of her expressing her gratitude for the great forgiveness that has been given to her. And he's showing us, she sets an example for all of us. I don't care about her background, Jesus would say. I don't care, like, all oh, that could be forgiven, right? And, and, and here she is coming to him for the first time, and maybe for the first time in her life, she's starting to fly right side up. And out of all the people at that dinner party, it is her, it is only her who leaves there, right with God, forgiven of her sins, a citizen of the heavens, of the kingdom of God. It's her. Like, Jesus wanted to see, do you see the contrast between this Pharisee, like the most religious, self-righteous guy you can imagine, and this woman, and they both are going to walk out the door, and only she is right with God. Don't you forget this. It's so powerful that she was willing to do this. And this is what happens when we finally see Jesus for who he really is and his kingdom for what it really is. There really is only two options. And we see this over and over throughout the Gospels. Either first, you, you turn away like, like Simon did. Like, thanks Jesus, but I'm a pretty good guy. And I think I got it from here. I can take care of it. I don't really need you. I'm good. You either turn away, think you got it, 
Or you do like she did and you unashamedly adore him. You come before him and you don't even care who says what, what who thinks what. That you're willing to seek him out like that. And he says, and this is the heart I'm looking for. I want somebody who is filled with gratitude and boldness and humility who will come and follow me. And this is what I'm looking for in citizens of the kingdom of God. And this is how we grow as citizens of the kingdom of God. And here's the question I want you to think about because the, I want you to begin to think about what about me? What about you and your response to the Lord? How have you and are you responding to his great forgiveness for you? Do you think, oh, it's really not much? I really don't think I've, I've really, I mean, I don't really need God to forgive very much. I'm pretty good. Well, you really haven't thought about it much then. Jesus is saying until you really get it, like what God has done is insurmountable in terms of the debt you could never pay, and he has removed it so that you might be set free. And when you finally realize that, you will be filled with gratitude and you will be the kind of citizen Jesus says, now we can go places. Now the kingdom of heaven will begin to come through you. And here's the question I want you to think about. Has gratitude, has your gratitude attempted to equal his grace? Now, there's a reason why I put attempted, because our gratitude is never going to equal his grace, but it's in the attempting that like his grace, his undeserved forgiveness for us is our gratitude, our worship of him, carving out time every day to be in his word, to be with him, to seek him, to, to carve out some of our, our resources, our finances, to give generously towards the things of God. When we do these things, we are learning to get will out of the way, get you out of the way in terms of the center of our life, and to begin to stop being you in control, but Christ in control of your life. And when you do this, you start to function like a citizen of heaven, and you start to fly right side up. Because now your value system reflects the kingdom to which you claim to belong. And you will begin to show gratitude in the kingdom for the king that you say you have loyalty to because of his forgiveness for you that is undeserved. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.